Hello and welcome to the Forward Unto Dawn podcast, the show about the lore and universe of the Halo franchise. This is episode number 47. I'm David and I'm joined by my usual co-host Danny. Hi, Lee Holy. And this episode we're also joined by our old co-host Isaac. How's it going, guys? Isaac was last seen on episode 42 and most of the time can be found running the media analysis channel off screen, but we brought him back to finally talk about Halo Infinite. Um, it was quite a, a wait for Infinite, uh, six years. Uh, we're going to talk about all aspects of the game, particularly a story, um, before we get into the nitty gritty. I guess we should go around high level. What do you think about the game? Well, it's um, it's been exciting. Uh, I don't feel like... I've, I don't feel like I've been this enthusiastic about a Halo game in a long time. feels like a return to kind of the classic Bungie era in a way. Oh, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, this is the closest I think the franchise has felt to classic Bungie era Halo. Yeah, and I think there was definitely, because of course everyone is a vocal on Twitter, there were people who were very concerned that, oh my god, they're going to throw out everything that they did that I like to just go back to a Bungie story versus the people who are like, yes, throw out everything and give me <laughs> a Bungie story. And it's one of those things where I feel like generally the the arc of 343's games have been sort of overreacting to criticism and this trying to like they waffle back and forth and end up pleasing nobody. Uh, and this is clearly aimed at trying to please everybody, but I think it's actually pretty successful at it. Um, it doesn't, it sidelines a lot of the three, four, three stuff, but it doesn't eject it. Um, it deepens some of it while also clearly giving you all right, spiritual successor back to basics, you running around with an AI companion near ear doing stuff on a halo ring. And it does definitely sets up interesting stuff for the future. This is very much like Combat Evolved in so many ways. I think the one that sticks with me the most is that it kind of feels like it's half of a story. Um, they just leave it. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's this whole other thing going on, but we're not going to worry about it here. Um, and you get like the hero shot of all the characters at the end looking grinning into the camera just waiting are we, for are, the... we are we going are we going to go down the uh, negative stuff because that's i want to i want to get started on that part of it but i don't think we're we're ready to go down the uh the bad things part yet well, i mean it's overall things um that can be the the story and the amount of story we get i guess can be both a positive and negative depending on how you're coming at it well you you were saying specifically about um pre-release there was fears from some fans that they were worried about having having like all the all four and five and their experiences through those past two games just being tossed to the wayside. And I would argue that's what happened. If you didn't play four and five, it doesn't matter. Just jump right in. You played three? Yeah, go on, there you go. There's your storyline, there's your Master Chief. Everything's grand. Nothing matters from four and five. And uh, that's a slap in the face. That's kind of a strength to the story as well, though, because I've got friends who haven't played since Halo 3 or Halo Reach, since the Bungie era. Um, they kind of had a passing interest in 4 and 5 and never really delved into it very deeply. There just wasn't an interest. Um, I don't know if that has to do with the art style or the fact that it's a, a new studio making games for the first time, but 
I've got friends who've jumped into this experience for the first time since Reach and are just loving it the same way they used to for the old Halo games. It's interesting. And I definitely I definitely have seen some people, well, I think it's a minority opinion, there are definitely people who think um, they, they tossed too much. And I, I think with all this stuff, really, how much... The, the ultimate question is, I guess, zoom out in two or three years when we've gotten, hopefully, multiple expansions uh, or additions to the story to see how much of that stuff has been sort of tossed by the wayside or if it's just been refocused for a a much simpler, smaller story. Um, that this isn't... Uh, and it's interesting, we've gotten, since the game's come out, uh, there's been... Everyone's starting to put... Uh, like their art station portfolios and stuff of what they did. And it's clear that at one point in conception, Halo Infinite was very much going to be Halo 6 and it was going to follow on more directly. Um, it was going to be more galaxy spanning. There was stuff that looked like, all right, we're still going to be on Sanghelios for stuff, at least for part of it, things like that. They had scenes that were set on possibly Earth or human colonies. Um, and that all obviously through production delays and all that stuff and just refocusing to be more clearly a spiritual successor to Halo Comet Evolve that all got uh, shorn away. And so there's there's downsides to that, that it does feel a little more disconnected. There's also benefits that, like, you have a simpler story. Um, and I think, too, similarly to Halo Comet Evolved, there's not a ton of story in this, but the strength is that it's generally done quite well. Can, can I just say that the link to doing it more like Halo CE is very, very disingenuous. Halo CE had a lot of variety compared to Infinite, or oh, any variety compared to Halo Infinite. CE had more in it, more diversity, more environments, more story. It's not like more being CE at all. It's like a single level from CE. That's it. It's it's not more like a, a CE experience versus like Halo 2 and 3 at all. It's not a fair comparison. Well, you get the surface of the ring, the Pacific Northwest environments. You get the Forerunner environments, and then you get the banished ships, which show up for those, I guess, just the first level, right? Yeah, and then so, they're just sort yeah, of like sprinkled on. Three environments. <laughs> But no, those are those are basically one. That's one level from a Halo game. One level from a Halo game can encompass all of that, and then still have more levels full of excitement and wonder and different things. But this just has what I would consider to be a slightly big level, and that's it. Just one level. That's and yet, it. there's a lot of there's a lot of appeal to that, though. I mean, when I finished the campaign and was just kind of poking around the Halo ring, you know, after the story was over, there was this. Uh, I got that same feeling I got playing Skyrim. Like, this is just a world that I want to spend more time in. Um, and, you know, you've gotten that a little bit from previous Halo games, but once you finish the level, you move on to the next one. The environment's done. You don't see it again. This time, you're you're in it. it like, it feels like a living, breathing world in a way that no Halo game has before. Mm -hmm. And it's, in that way, I think, to the point of variety, uh, you are right, Danny, that, like, you do... If we had like the the snow section of the ring and stuff like that, that would be cool. Well, there's also the fact that they're planning on this game being a platform for years to come, not just you know this isn't just Halo Six. This is Halo Infinite. You know, 
Infinite, yeah, they're gonna for a game that's scoping out to be like infinite in content and lasting ten years. The game doesn't have a fraction of a single entry in the in the franchise. Like compared to any other single entry in the Halo franchise, this is an anemic, uh, underfed single level experience that doesn't even compare to a demo I played in in a, in a shop whenever CE came out. There was more diversity in that demo than there was the entirety in this retail release. Uh, I, I take it you're not happy about that. I'm ecstatic. <laughs> no, I don't think that's fair, though, just because while it definitely doesn't have some of the variety the other games have um, in terms of, like, biomes and different settings, I don't think that's the most important part. Um, and it... Well, to me, to me this, this whole game just felt like a next-gen version of a silent cartographer level. That was it. It's just one level, next-gen, out the ass, like, really well done. Like, don't... Don't get me wrong here. I think this next-gen version of that one level is mind-blowing. But that's it. One level. I expected a game, an experience, a story, and I got a tech demo. It it feels like, you know, they've done that very deliberately because it's like they've stretched and padded out the experience with longer, more emotion-based cutscenes and obviously more collectibles around the map so that they can have what would normally be a you know, I don't know, a six, 10 hour campaign in a previous Halo game uh, comprise all of the updates that are coming in the future. And you can definitely, if you just run, run basically from mission to mission, you can complete this like a, you can actually basically, if you wanted to almost entirely play this like a normal Halo campaign. Um, I think you like basically have to capture like a forward operating base. It is what it is. You take it as you take it. Um, and I mean, yeah, it definitely stinks that I can't tootle around. And by the way, the only reason why we don't have this is not because of creative choices. It's all to do with their feelings as a developer and not being able to deliver something that they were supposed to. Like, it's only because of their feelings. It's not I will say, some of this experience does feel like, um, like they had more and then later in development, they decided to scope it back. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like the game had six years of development, and I don't see any more evidence than more than like two, two and a half, three. If you want to be blind, like this does not speak for six years of development. My bum, you know. We also don't know what else they already have, you know, ready to go in future months. Like it could be that there is a lot more already developed, and like I said, they're just portioning it out. A hundred percent could be, but. They would have shown it or spoken about it at some point. Whenever you're launching, you want to give your 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 players an expectation, like an immediate expectation post-launch. They didn't even have anything to say about any plans at any point in the future for any kind of content, any kind of scope or scale of it. It's a live service game, so obviously there's pitfalls to that. But at the end of the day, as a consumer, you get what you get. And you can either decide if this is worth your time or energy or not. I have a very basic question. I have a very basic question, right, as a player. I Will I get more campaign uh, story in future at all? I don't have an answer. When will I get a new multiplayer map? I don't have an answer. When can I expect anything like that? Don't have an answer. When can I expect any other levels in the campaign? No answer. You know, like these are basic questions. <laughs> When can I expect co-op? Wait, give me a time frame. They give me a seasonal sort of shift, the idea. That means nothing to me. Give me a time frame. Give me months, years, however. They're, like, they're, they're avoiding the basic, easy questions. Never mind the hard so, ones. So uh, 
What did you like about the game, Danny? Oh, it is the best 10 minutes of a sandbox that, that I've played in about 10 years of the franchise. Easily. The most, it might even be a coincidence considering how they all ended up, but they have a fantastic immediate combat sandbox that's it matches some of the best at Halo 3 even. Like that's as high as praise as I can get for, for, for the for saying things about how the game works and plays. It's it's up there with Halo 3 during its best moments. That was one of the things that I told a lot of my friends who have checked out of Halo over the last few years is like they just made the ultimate Halo sandbox. Yeah. Like it's so much more focused on the gameplay than the story and the experience and the variety that you're complaining about but i think I, I, I felt like that was a worthwhile trade-off yeah well you know what i missed the most from halo 3 the one thing they really don't deliver set pieces name me one interesting set piece in the game i could name you a whole cavalcade from any of the previous games throughout the campaigns name me something remotely interesting that happens in infinite uh, that stands to, like say the scarab fight from halo 3 like anything go on name me one thing that happens in infinite that you thought was particularly outstandingly memorable as a set piece well in terms of things that this game absolutely does better than previous halo games uh boss fights are actually fine too good versus terrible too annoying um i really like the boss fights and i i don't i usually hate boss fights in my games i don't like stuff that reminds me that i'm playing a game frankly i like to get immersed in another world and this one I felt like the characters that you were encountering were so compelling in and of themselves that it was just more mm-hmm. fun. Well, did you enjoy the Tartarus boss fights in Halo 2? Because that's what it felt like. We just got Tartarus times five. I don't think so, because Tartarus... Like, even in some ways, the final boss fight is, like, Tartarus evolved, except now we've come with the... we come up with, like, a story reason for why you can't take down his shields. that. Like, instead of um random reason, uh, it's a random reason, but it, it impacts a character that the pilot, so you care about that. Um, and so it still has, like, the phases of, of a classic video game boss fight, but unlike Tartarus, you aren't just running around waiting for the AI to tell you, oh, wait, now it's it's fine. Yeah, but, but surely the actual mechanics of the boss encounters can have a little bit of a change-up since Halo 2. Like, come on. Well, I think it is. It does, because that's the the advantage of Infinite, is that it gives you such a sandbox to mess around with. Like, I, throughout most of the game, um, I just ran around like Spider Chief with a grappling hook, and that was fun. You just grapple up to things like you can when you're running around in the overworld if you can see it you can probably just grapple yourself up you might have to like grapple and fall and grapple and fall and keep doing that but you can climb up sheer cliffs that way and in the game there's like fusion coils littered around everywhere you can chuck fusion coils at people you can grapple fusion coils out of the brute's hands and chuck them back at them can, can, can I point out that the grapple hook mechanic is so well implemented and so fun, it actually makes every other mechanic that you're supposed to slot in to replace the grapple hook to be irrelevant. I don't care about anything that's not grapple hook. That is the thing, as I found out like through some of the boss things, um, like the grapple hook is great, but it's not necessarily always the best uh, weapon. And doing like my legendary run-through... Um, it's like, oh, the the drop shields. I now see your value. 
because there's some places where it's so much easier to take down an enemy if you can you have this can this i see the, can i see the value of the of that, of that content uh, if i don't play the hardest game mode please no it's, or is that it's only for people there. who and really appreciate the game i'm not really enjoy the content because i'm not hardcore enough that's another place where i feel like this game i like more than the others in that especially with uh reach i think was sort of the 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 pit of this but it's it's the case with lots of the the games on legendary is if you aren't running around with a plasma pistol and a battle rifle you're doing something wrong like at legendary or harder it's insane to do anything else whereas this i felt like i had more options see i haven't played legendary that much so i I, i'm actually very interested in how the experience differs up from past heroes so yeah so it's although i do feel the plasma pistol i feel like now is the the weakest weapon in the sandbox, the only one like, I'm like, all right, there's, there's no point to this, but for the most part, the sandbox is varied enough. Um, cause they paired back. I know people were upset about like not having brute shots and spikers and stuff. Um, but what's there, I think slots into a simple role. Um, the same roles. Yeah. yeah and it's like sense. even having, because the banished are a different faction from the covenant, the banished run around with human weapons sometimes. And it makes total sense. And that means that you've got more ammo. You know exactly what you're facing. Um, there's less weapons that are exactly the same, except differently colored. Um, and so, like, what I was saying with the... I definitely agree with you in terms of the grapple hook is so useful that just based on... if you have If you have a standard controller, just because it's it takes two button presses on the D-pad or whatever, or a couple button presses on your keyboard to get to the other ones, you're less likely to use that. Um, I think in the future, if you just made all the other equipment its own thing and the grapple hook was always equipped, that would probably be uh, more effective. Um, But it's definitely, once you use the other things, I think you, you find their value. You just have to get into the practice of actually using them. Because it's so much fun being Spider Chief. That's the the problem. It's not as much fun to just thrust around. But yeah, can I say one thing that makes that grapple hook really special is that Halo has a habit historically of taking a mechanic that other games have and just refining it and just making it make more sense in Halo's context. And I think the grapple hook is such a good borrowed mechanic that uh, obviously they didn't they didn't innovate by throwing an effect in grapple hook. But the difference that their implementation it makes, like the, the implementation in the game just feels so natural and rewarding. It just feels like it, that is how it should have been. You know what I mean? And that's, it's very rare for them to nail something that well. Mm-hmm. But at the expense of, I, I think, pretty much anything that isn't a grapple hook, it just ha- doesn't have the impact or memorability of it, never mind usability of it. Yeah. Well, and I think actually that ties into something else I really noticed about the campaign. Um, like the grapple hook makes no sense. Um, and at one point I had a grunt who I grappled onto exclaim like how this makes no sense because the grunt is five feet and tiny and I am a two ton thing. And somehow I am the one being dragged to it. Um, but it's more fun that way. And that ties into, I think one of the things the campaign also does really well is it's just has a sense of fun 
that a lot of the other ones haven't since Halo 3. Like in Halo Reach, they decided the Covenant weren't scary enough and we need to redesign them and make them speak uh, alien languages again. And that's sort of carried through um, for Halo 4 and 5. And here, like, no, the grunts are chatty. Uh, they've got, even the, the brutes are funny. Um, the grunts the grunts sound so familiar. For some some reason, the grunts seem a little bit more familiar this time around. I can't put my finger on it for some yeah, reason. It's just uh, something about Joe, I guess. Um, and just even, like, it was one of those things where I think the... This is definitely more like a hub world kind of thing, like ODST, than a, a true open world. And 343 were pretty clear on that. And having played it, I understand why they, they downplayed it. But just like running around doing collectibles, like destroying the, the banished propaganda towers. Like that was fun because the banished propaganda is hilarious. And I want to sit around and listen to it before I destroy it. Um, I was going to say that content tore me in too, because on one hand, I actually like the specific content, the actual propaganda, the stuff that is just a grade material. But on the other hand, I hate mechanically the implementation of a far cry piece of shit mechanic that's lazy. And uh, it was very, very just thrown in there because it's, it's lazy design just to populate a map of crap. That's I, I hate it mechanically. <laughs> I don't think it's fair to call it lazy design because if you look at the trends of like every single game company these days, everybody is kind of um, unifying their game design principles. The open world game design principles, yes. That's what I'm saying. It just felt like it was a Me Too inclusion. It's like, well, we have to put this feature in because people expect it. Let's just do our good spin on it. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll say their spin on it is amazing. Like, quality material. I just don't like that it's just, they didn't do anything extra interesting mechanically with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason so many people are latching on to these design principles is that they're really good for telling story, and they're very grounded in the world of the game. I mean, you used to have stuff in old games where the the story felt like it was kind of separate and tacked on, and now it feels like in every open world game that I play, it emerges organically out of the space that you're in. And I think that's one yeah. of the 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 benefits that gaming has over other mediums. So I think it's cool to see developers leaning into that and utilizing it better. And the fact that Halo has kind of observed and followed those trends I could see how you'd interpret it as a I want to do that too sort of um, vibe, but I think it's opening up so much more interesting storytelling going forward if they use it right. And, you know, we still have to see if they will. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, more, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. I think actually that was one of my, I think the open world stuff worked for me in that it wasn't too huge. It wasn't didn't feel super empty. It was fun to travel around and there weren't like too many, I think especially the Witcher was a game that I overall enjoyed it, but you go into this giant map and then they just hit you with icons and you're like, Oh my Which God, one? there's one tier, wait, one, one tier or three that are, they're quite the different. three. I played the, the first time. The third one. There's just so many icons. And I definitely think like, Assassin's Creed games or Ubisoft games can run into this even more. Yeah. But it's just, yeah. it becomes like, oh, not, oh, there's so much cool stuff to see, but oh, there's all this crap I have to do. And for the most part, I think Infinite avoids that. 
Those games feel overwhelming because not only do you open a map and the map is populated as far as the eyeball can see, but it also has a lot of big story content. Like Halo Infinite does not have the the uh, the multitude of story campaign content to go along with all the, the, the side dressing. So if they put more side dressing in, it would just overemphasize the lack of main story, I think. So I think they, they play a, a balancing act and it actually hit right. I think for what they have in-game, it seems to be about right to balance it. Well, it's also interesting because it's the only only game with an open-world component I've ever played where the characters like chastise you for not playing the story. Like if you finish up the, the mission after a while, like Cortana or the pilot will like, hey, we should really like continue this plot point um instead of just like a game where they expect you to run around for 40 minutes not touching the the main quest like in skyrim or but something. Is, there, is there not really a reason for that because like skyrim you can you can literally disappear in the map for hours and just never stop exploring and this game you'll stop running you'll run out of content very quickly you'll you'll run out of interesting things to see and places to go very very quickly like that's what's trying to rein you in because that is not a true open world game and it's, it's the illusion of it that feels great but the reality of it doesn't compare or measure up yeah but i'm i'm totally happy with that that's the thing like this is i think the right the right uh amount it's like i think i spent 35 mi- hours altogether 100 percenting stuff in the first playthrough and like that's that is totally fine by me um i don't want to spend I don't have time to spend 100 hours in a game these days in the same way. Well, but you guys, like, how long did you play through the campaign? Like, in terms of, like, story or just how much time I've actually spent The campaign. How much, how much time have you spent in the campaign? That's all I'm asking. Like, in the, in, you just said a time. I asked Isaac, how long did you spend in there? I mean, I didn't count, but I spent a couple days on the first run through getting... This was one of the first times I played an open world game. Actually, I should say it's one of the few times I've played an open world game and all of the collectibles didn't feel like too much of a distraction. So I do agree that they struck the right balance there. But I mean, I, I was I felt like I was pretty focused on the story. The first playthrough it took me uh, two or three days to finish it. And then I did a legendary run through after that. Um, but mostly I've been in multiplayer, honestly. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the the downside is I think the lack of of co-op and stuff didn't bother me as much now it's just one of those things where especially lack of level select like i'm gonna go back in six months when they add stuff in but that's where the lack of stuff hurts it more my my experience then has been very different from you guys because i was messing the missing content since the very first time i loaded the game up i wanted initially to do a a co-op playthrough I realized that split screen doesn't always work out, but I thought at least at least a co-op thing that was taken away from me at the start. And then um, I wanted to take my time and go through the levels because I wanted to um, I wanted to appreciate the smaller details. And then I, I quickly realized that I have no ability to go back and revisit any levels. Anything I miss, I've missed it. And then I start getting very upset because I didn't know why I missed. When I first played through the game, I. You know, I wasn't looking at spoilers on the internet. I wasn't talking to online communities. I just kind of blocked myself up from the world and was spending time on Zeta Halo. Like I was fully immersed in it. And I just remember the first time I was playing through 
the campaign, I kept saying out loud, I was sitting by myself, I, but I just kept going like, wow, this is amazing. This is so cool. So we we had very different experiences, Danny. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. I was just I, I was just very frustrated. I wanted to explore before. honestly guys, I wanted to explore more of the game because I, I didn't know about a thing. And someone else pointed out a thing to me and I've missed it. And the game, for some reason, that, that was the thing that messed with my head the most. Why would they not let me go back? Every other Halo game lets you curate your, the content after you've beaten it. You can go back and take things at your own time. The game took that option from us. Didn't even explain why. And won't even tell us when they'll, we'll get it back. Don't you feel like that adds replayability? Gives you incentive to go back and do the campaign again? Do you like being forced to play a game that you, a series that you like in a way you don't like uh, as an excuse for replayability? It's like, you can play it badly multiple times, or I could just wait and play the way I want to the first time. The way I, I, I paid my money to, you know what I mean? Like, come on. I've played through every other Halo game like that. What I've seen from 343 Industries is that they're really talking a lot about sustainability um, from a mental health perspective. And I have to say, I think that that's incredibly admirable coming from a game studio. You know, most game studios are so easy to lean into crunch. And we've heard about the nightmarish conditions that people have to work under in the industry. And I think oh, it's I, good. Oh, I have to agree. Finally pushing back against that. Oh, I have to agree. Crunch culture at AAA studios is a cancer in our industry. Um, I have a background in QA. I, I understand the pressures and realities of some of the more negative sides of the industry. Don't get me wrong. But again, it's no excuse. There's six years of developmental failures here on show. Um, you can't just ignore it all because they get some good birds rise. You know what I mean? Uh, to be fair, expectations have always been an issue in Halo games and just a bit. <laughs> media in general. hundred <laughs> um, percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's it sounds like um, the issue is not really the game, but the expectations versus the reality. A hundred percent. But it's also on them to set and calibrate our expectations accordingly. And if our expectations are out of whack, it's not our fault. I just think it's unfortunate that you had such a negative experience because I was honestly just so blown away by. Um, I don't know the the immersion that I was getting with the experience, and um, it sounds like I don't know maybe trying to run through and do a hundred percent of the collectibles on your first playthrough might have soured it a little bit. Yeah, I just really enjoyed running through for the first time and just kind of occupying the armor of Master Chief, like it was just me as Master Chief going through a new experience. And then the second time I went through, which was on Legendary, that's when I took the time to explore all the little corners and collect the skulls and make it more of a, a Amy experience. See, I, I definitely did it the opposite way. Cause I, I like, I, I definitely not a fan of, of Halo on its highest difficulties. I can, even though this one does it a lot better, I think it's just not as fun an experience. So I spend all my, my first game playthrough is, is looking at all the nooks and crannies and poking around. And then, when it comes to legendary, like, all right, let's see how fast I can get through this. Um, okay, I guess talking, we were talking about mechanics and stuff uh, in terms of the actual story. Can I, can I get Isaac's take on this, please? I really, I've been dying to hear Isaac's take on this as as the resident Ford on the Dawn Cortana expert here. I, I, I'm dying to hear your, your take, Isaac, on what you think the, the story is, is like. Uh, it was very 
minimal. No lies detected. They really stripped back a lot of the the lore dumps that we're used to from Halo, um, which was what I was looking forward to. Um, and all they did was they just set up a bunch of new questions. Um, so I, I, I kind of like the new approach because, again, it lets you spend more time in the world as a real place. Um, and I feel like there's answers to a lot of those questions that they've set up coming in future updates. But you were you were talking specifically about Cortana, the whole Cortana twist. Yeah. About Cortana dying on her way back to her home planet in between episodes, essentially. Yeah. I would have liked to see more of that. I would have liked to have been involved in that a little bit more as the Master Chief. Um, but I think it's a it's a mixed bag. It, it seems like part of it is some of 343's being reactionary. Nobody really wanted evil Cortana, so they just got rid of her. Um, and yet at the same time, I also don't know how, from a character perspective, how else you would have ended that. Um, personally, I really like the whole created conflict arc. Um, and I'm holding on to the hope that it's not over with over. already. Yeah. 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 I mean, hopefully there's like, we'll just have some AIs running around doing their own thing in the background, even if Cortana has gone. As a new faction, as, a, as an ever present faction going forward, that would be the better outcome. Yeah. I, I mean, I really don't know how they were going to change gameplay in light of the created conflict i i think that would have been a mess if they had tried to do that um you know having more and more prometheans and forerunner stuff popping up and trying to replace elements of the sandbox i think they made the right decision to go back to the banished as just a basic you know covenant archetype um but i i recently read through shadows of reach i didn't read that when it came out um and i'm trying to kind of pick up on all the recurring threads throughout the created conflict because I guess just um, to give a little bit of perspective here, I recently posted on HBO, which, yes, there are conversations happening on halo.bungie.org again. Um, and it seems to me, I'll just repeat myself here for those who have already participated in that conversation there, but it, it seems to me that the whole uh, Mjolnir systems that they come up with, Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3, are sort of an in-universe explanation for their different approaches to storytelling and art direction. So Gen 1 is Bungie era, Gen 2 is the uh, Kenneth Scott uh, reimagined art style, and then Gen 3 would be the return to the roots, um, which maps up onto Covenant War, uh, post-war universe where everything's in chaos, and then the created conflict. So I really do look at those three things, Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3, as the three arcs of the Halo story. So Covenant War, post-war chaos, and now the created conflict. and Seeing how they set up Cortana as like the, I think as you guys said in one of the previous podcasts, she who must not be named, this sort of evil figure that's lurking in the background and influencing things, not in a direct way, but in a kind of, well, not an indirect way. It's very direct. She's forcing everybody into hiding. Every faction in the universe has to sort of go undercover. And all of the conflicts that we see are not a result of direct conflict with the created, but trying not to be in conflict with the created because everybody knows they'd lose. Yeah. So you constantly feel their presence, even though they're not there visibly and interacting with you every turn. That makes all sense. I think it's a really interesting way to uh, a really interesting direction to take the story because Halo usually is about just, there's the bad guy, go stop him. Mm -hmm. um, and do it. The, the fact that they're, you know, it's kind of subtle, but they're doing something 
different. And I hope, I really do hope that they continue with the created conflict as the next story arc and just let it be in the background, let it play out as sort of a meta story that's layered on top of all the smaller conflicts that we're engaged in with the banished. Mm-hmm. But um, I have to say, like you, you know, at this point, considering what Infinite sets up story-wise with another faction, they're they're probably going to lean into the new name faction rather than a past name faction at this point. Well, I think it's it's unclear. I think the the problem the created have fundamentally from a game design standpoint is robots are not as fun to fight as organic things. Yeah. A hundred percent, yeah. That's that was the biggest complaint from four or five was just shooting robots yeah. in general. And so I'm hopeful that, like you're saying, that it comes back not only because it's interesting to have it still be a background thing and have multiple multiple plates spinning at once, but also that no matter how fun the Covenant or the Banished are, I think always more fun. The moments I love the most in all the Halo games are when you are in the middle of two factions fighting and you get to decide who you're going to take out first or if you're going to let them sit back and like those multi-unit factions between the flood and the covenant and the forerunners and stuff um like no game since halo c has done that as well but i think that's still a very rich well to draw from so hopefully like yeah we'll see the endless fighting the banished versus etc like that would be an interesting way of bringing some of that back and if the the created are just kind of hanging out in the background doing sneaky things, uh, that's a way of doing it. Sort of like, um, I don't know. So have you, I guess you haven't read uh, any of the stuff with um, Intrepid Eye, Isaac? Um, I read, uh, what was it? Hunt, not Hunters in the Dark. Um, Last Light. Last light, blue team in the caves. So that's that's kind of they they I guess they sort of just wrapped up her story. Um with uh oh Divine Wind, that's why I can't think of it. Um they kind of wrapped up her her story in Divine Wind, but I think that was sort of an idea that you could sort of use for the created was that she was impacting everything indirectly uh she had her own plans it was actually to me it struck me as what if the assembly existed but was better um and so i i can definitely see them doing that with the created going forward um so you're saying that the uh intrepid eye i think she could be sort of a, a template for things that they could do with the created going forward yeah Okay, but she but she was still in service of the forerunner. But she was, and it was an interesting thing because she had the same thing. Like, oh well, humans have to be tested for the mantle, um, and to the point where she ends up deciding that, uh, the created had ruined everything. So she is fine with with lighting the halos because she's gonna basically scratch her plan and start over again. Um, so it was an interesting layer on top of everything. I do think, for the most part, it's actually interesting that Halo Infinite is is the game where we do hunt the truth. Uh, actually, throughout. that's a good point. Yeah, um, it's almost like the promise. Think, it's almost like the promise of Halo 5's marketing finally being realized. Hunt the truth harder. Uh, that there were only so many 
ways, especially with the stripped down thing where we can't, we're not going to rely on a ton of stuff um, and a ton of characters to do this. That was sort of kind of the, the only way it could have gone. Um, it's funny before release, uh, we did a video about like, well, who, if Cortana's dead, who killed her? Uh, and there was, there was the one person in the comments who suggested that it was going to be like a sacrifice play, which I did not call. I think the thing that ultimately didn't work for me was that we needed one more scene of her grappling with her decision and basically changing her mind that we mostly just get like a couple of like, Oh no, like I've messed up. And I felt like there needed to be more there to sell that to me. Um, because the, obviously the, the character interplay in this game is great. And between the weapon and chief and chief and Cortana and the chief and the pilot, it all works there. Yeah. Um, and that's what sells it as well as it does. But I still, if this really is the end of original Cortana, and I, I hope it is, even if um, I think that they they truncated some of the, the cool stuff they could do with the created, I think at this point you have to leave her dead. Um, Can I just call it at this point uh, Jen Taylor yet again for her performance in a Halo title? And again, she has utterly destroyed her own work in the past by knocking it out of the park even harder this time. I am such a, a fan of her work, and to see her work uh, take such a stage, and her take on so many roles as she always does, and kick all the ass. Yeah. It's, it's it's beautiful. It's kind of a shame that uh, Halsey doesn't play more of a role because it would be hilarious to just have scenes with her playing three different characters, and you can tell them all apart, all interacting with each yeah. other. Yes, that like would they, be so good. The the voice and animation team do such a good job in this game of making. This was the whole thing, um, like going back to Halo 4, those, the, the rampant Cortana is concerned about that she's going to get replaced, and she actually does. Um, but they do a good job of making the weapon absolutely feel like a different character. And not only that, like more likable than the original Cortana? Yeah, she's oh, actually... Don't she is... Don't go there. You'll piss off someone on the internet well, by saying that. It's true. I, I agree with you. Oh. Well, I Halo, feel you'll right? piss off the internet. <laughs> yeah, she is. I, I like Cortana as much as the next person who grew up playing those games. Um, but I think that's that's also like the point. Like she was written to be more likable than the original Cortana. So that as you're, there's that line that Chief gives. Like um, I forget exactly what it was, but she says, "Do you trust me?" And he says, "No, but I want, but I want to. to." Yeah, and that matched so well up with what I was feeling as the player. Like this isn't the character who's helped me through all of these different game experiences. This is someone new who I feel like I'm kind of betraying my old friend by liking more. And I think they did that on purpose. Um, so you kind of feel the guilt that Master Chief feels in getting along with this new AI better, mm-hmm. easier. And while there was one or two times where like her naivete, even if it's understandable, like felt like it was slightly over the mark. Um, but generally it works well as um, I think they do a good job with the pilot and with her of, of managing to pull stuff out of chief, both in a like serious, like character standpoint and also in just funny stuff. 
like her continuing insistence throughout a surprising amount of the game that maybe this isn't going to be bad news and maybe someone's coming that's going to be a friendly and like no no you have you clearly have not played all the other halo games we know how this goes and the master chief has seen it all and he's he's he knows better um and yeah that definitely maybe the original Cortana was something like this when she was initially activated um, before she knew everything because uh, we only meet her a couple years into it. Um, but she is, I think, likable is is definitely uh, a good descriptor for it um, even before Cortana went on her dastardly plans. Uh, she's much more... Um, I guess the most sardonic AI is probably... Uh, um, Serena from Halo Wars, but Cortana was definitely along that scale, and the weapon resets it. Um, yeah, well, Serena was also modeled off of Cortana to a certain degree. Yeah. So, uh, but while we're talking about characters, I'm curious what you guys thought of the characterization of the chief. I liked it. I think it's one of those things where he now can speak in campaign, which is great because now he has an actual personality that comes throughout most time. I don't know. It's one of those things where like that's that's something fans have always complained about way back complaining about the flood versus the fall of reach and how Deets and Nyland characterized him. I think he is definitely reset back more to his Halo um the Combat Evolved version with a little more with a touch of of Reclaimer Saga uh pathos added to it. Because he does, like in the original game, uh, he is, you see him like he's very, um, like he cares about the Marines, he's, but he he's strong and silent, but he also is quippy uh, and all that stuff. And I think they definitely deliberately dialed him back to that. Whereas in the later games, especially with Bungie, they had sort of shut him down um, and he was more Cypher. And then in Halo 4, most of everything was just reacting to Cortana. Um, and I think Halo 5 especially lost a chance to do stuff with him um, and show a different side of him with Blue Team. They just did, decided not to go there. So I think, for the most part, I liked his his interplay. Um, and we see, especially, we do see something different of him, I guess, with the pilot, because clearly the pilot is like a normal human being thrown into a halo game. He's freaking out, man. Uh, and while early on, I found it a little grating. I think he just complained a little too much, even if it's totally understandable. Uh, the, the moment where they have the heart to heart and he admits that he ran away from the fright and he failed and he's not sure what to do. And chief relates his own failures, uh, that sold it and that also felt like a side of chief we don't get to see with the the usual bounds of him talking with an ai or just taking orders it really feels like it was building off of some of his characterization from four and five where he's kind of thematically you know trying to decide if he's human or machine yeah person or soldier well and that's definitely and like it seems like he's made his choice by this point yeah and i think that's definitely in terms of I think with the foreigner stuff, there's a lot of thematic links to Halo 4 and 5. Um, and also in terms of revisiting the the question of man versus machine from Halo 4. That's definitely another 
uh, theme that's heavily picked up from the Reclaimer saga. Even if the everything else is is not not as much focused on Halo Four and Five, that stuff definitely comes through. Yeah, they kept the right elements. I felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think, Dan? Um, I definitely feel like there's a lot of elements they could have thrown at the wayside. Um, but I think returning the 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 overall appeal back onto the older games and doing that was probably in the game's best interest for success because I think it ties in with with what they've done in the in in the past couple of years getting that game and because we we know something we know the development wasn't wasn't stable you know six years can't give it away but whatever they've done to re bring that that experience back to appeal to people. Um, that that wanted a certain visual identity, that wanted certain things. Like I think they they narrowed what what it was going to be in order to hit that note. And I think they somehow, despite themselves, still hit it. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I'd agree. I, I it's weird because um, you know, during that first playthrough when I was really just trying to be in the character of Master Chief, I felt um the legacy of everything that had come before story-wise from Bungie to Eric Nyland, uh, it was all present in this experience in a subtle way, not in a way that like requires you to know about it. Um, but just, uh, I don't know. So I, I spend a lot of time on YouTube and there's a lot of videos, um, in the halo arena that, uh, they all have the same title. It's, you know, master chief from the books in the games or something like that. It's always people performing crazy Spartan tricks within the sandbox. And yet this is the first time playing a campaign where I really felt like the character of Master Chief within the game was the exact same character that I had read in Eric Nyland's original Fall of Reach. Um, So ironically enough, this is Master Chief from the books, but it's not him performing some crazy Spartan feat. It's him just having the exact same emotional residence that the character did in the books it was really cool and then you get that moment when he's about to deactivate the weapon where he he gives his uh passcodes oh yeah three in order first is red flag which is of course when he first met cortana the operation where he was assigned cortana and then zero three four which like that got me just having recently reread fall of reach. I recognized that number. And then the third one, he gives Samuel's name, Samuel being of course the first Spartan to be killed in action. Yeah. So someone like, needs to little... tell master chief, like those are bad security questions. Anyone's going to be able to look those up. <laughs> right. But in terms of like just hitting that emotional note, it was so perfect. Like that, that simple moment was so rewarding to me as a Halo fan who's followed the franchise for the last 20 years. Well, and that, that whole setup, um, I think I really liked is because they have, you start out with the weapon trusting chief entirely, and he's actually holding stuff back. And there's, it's basically on screen text in the, the interface that lets you know, uh, he's holding stuff back. And then it turns out, like, yeah, he tries to delete her. It doesn't work. And she has changed that much by the point where she started out and like, well, I didn't get deleted. This is bad. And like has a terrible moment of bonding with 
bro hammer where she's like, well, you know, I, I could be deleted in any day. Like, what's so bad about that? To the point where she's super upset that Chief now is is willing to kill her to commit complete the mission. Um, and then then you get the like mission and a half of of salty salty weapon complaining about things and it's just fun um it's a different dynamic and just the the three having another character on the radio uh with the weapon and the pilot actually just adds a lot um it's a really simple thing but in terms of of bringing out more character and making it more interesting uh it really helps as opposed to just having the ai or hood or miranda keys on the the horn just telling you where to go constantly I am curious, uh, so like those are the, the three main characters, but I am curious uh, thoughts on, I guess, the the banished side of things and all the the minor characters who pop up. Because um, Atriox gets, gets sidelined almost immediately and we spend most of the time with Asharam. Uh, and then we, in short order, get introduced to the, the Harbinger of the Endless, who's all upset because the foreigner did it wrong. And then we've got along the way to Asharam, we've got a bunch of, of basically the, the bosses we get, um, the Spartan killers, we get, uh, Django Radomni, his, his right hand man, et cetera, who we all sort of chew our way through over the course of the plot until we get to Asharam. I kind of felt that, um, some of the Spartan killers and whatever else were, were particularly undercooked. They're just like, Oh, it's a thing here. Nice dad. Next one. You know, I felt like they didn't really feel like, 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 like presences really outside of their initial encounters. Like it was just, here's the thing now. And then it's completely forgotten about and irrelevant gone. Kind of. Yeah. They they almost weren't characters. Like yeah. if, you, if you look at their art direction, there's, there's some really cool, you know, costume design and characterization. Well, yes. yes, definitely in the design. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you never notice that when you're playing the game. Yeah, to me they I mean, they felt like you basically it felt like the the final part of um the arc in Halo 3 where you sort of chase down this chieftain at the end he challenges you and we yeah. gave what if that chieftain had a name and that's that's about as much as you get with them. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. So it's it's nice and like there's there's slightly more shading but it very much I mean, the focus isn't trying to be on them, but there's also not much there beyond that. I feel I have had more emotional connections to random uh, PvP opponents than than those those guys, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, they they really just end up being tougher, regular cannon fodder that we're fighting. I mean, you 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 spend more time looking at their health bar than at their character design. <laughs> yeah, and in that way, they 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 feel like you just took the the high value targets from the overworld and just stuck them in the the story based campaign cuz that's about as much as they've got going on them were, were these characters the replacements for like bosses and set like proper big set piece bosses and, and events like that's what it felt like to me it's like well we, we can't really afford to do it proper so let's just uh, model some backstory text there we go done instead of having like a scar battle or something or some meaningful deep awesome thing it was just we'll close the doors lock you in there you fight and well you fight you keep shooting at this enemy the way you shot at every other enemy and this one takes longer to kill it counts right yeah, yeah. I, I think three has a different design philosophy too they they tend to 
uh, be a little bit more gamey in their design. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, if you guys play Destiny, you know how the bosses, entities are handled in that game? I feel like they could learn something from that kind of approach. But I just felt like there's a lot... There's, yeah, it felt more like 90s video game bosses rather than 2020 sort of stuff. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like the bosses that are scattered throughout the world or the high-value targets could have used a little... Like, even if, like, you, when you walk up to them, the camera snaps out and pans over to them and they get a little quick cutscene introduction. That would have like a Borderlands 3 character introduction. Just yeah, just a smash something cut. that... Something that lets us see their design, see their character, and then go and shoot them a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. It's also, it's it's a minor thing, but it's weird to me that they don't tell you what the the weapon variants you get do. You just kind of have to, like, some of them are clear from their names, but some of them you just have to futz Excuse around Excuse me, you should automatically know what a red sword does that a blue one doesn't. You should just know that. I mean, it's it's cooler. I know that. Um, <laughs> apparently I was, it was something that came up. Someone was talking about, uh, I was looking at a thing on Reddit or whatever. They're talking about legendary bosses and someone was saying, oh, well you should take the, the, the Sentinel beam variant in because it's really good at all the bosses. I'm like, I, I don't know. What does the, the Sentinel beam variant do? Uh, so that was a slight, uh, annoyance with the high value targets. Um, Actually, you just reminded me of um, a big criticism of the game. Uh, it's not about the quality of the sandbox. It's about how it's presented to the player. And it's consistent throughout multiplayer campaign and the entire experience. And once I realized this, it I just couldn't believe it. So you know how the, uh, the vehicles, the weapons, all of that um, is introduced in the campaign. And there's a lot of customization. There's a lot more to it. Um, this time around than ever before. What I personally don't understand and why they've taken half, well, it's actually more than half because the only part of the sandbox that you have access to constantly through all modes of the game is the human stuff. There's literally no access for you to, say, get you customize and get all these variants of all these other weapons that you can take across all these different modes and customize yourself with. Anything that's not human is just ignored. There's a million different weapons that you never even get to look at because they're enemy weapons, apparently, not not you weapons. You don't get to go into your recustomization thing, earn skins, unlock stuff for them, attachments. It's like they just ignore about two-thirds of the entire content of the game. And I, I don't understand that either. I guess there it's just what you are going to be regularly using because the... The... Well, you can't regularly use two thirds of the sandbox. Come on, you can't regularly use it because they don't let you. That's all. No, I think that's that's probably a concession to the fact that I mean it doesn't help. It's sort of a chicken the egg thing. But like how no one generally likes using alien weapons, and it's such a weird thing. But they were talking about I think for Halo but Five. Do you, or do you not want to? Do you not want to have a nice uh, ghost skin, for example? You can have a skin for all your other vehicles. Why not ghosts? Why not race? They're present in the game as equally as the other ones. Infinite, infinite time scale. We'll see. Um, in terms of uh, other characters, I am offended that they introduced Despondent Pyre, who has been teased for, I mean, at least five-ish years. Uh, they mentioned like that when they were tootling around an installation of 7 wondering where the monitor was. Uh, 
and then she gets killed off in 20 minutes uh and then gets replaced by uh i don't even remember his name but i thought that especially with the the redesign of the monitor casing which i personally did not like the they sort of made like a wheatley from portal 2 character out of the the second monitor that pops up um and i i missed the spawn empire i was sad that i like that character though i mean yeah he was kind of lifted from portal 2 but he just really worked as a crazy halo monitor yeah i feel like they're doing a better job of characterizing them um with similar trends but still having different personalities yeah adjutant resolution i that's I, I, I i i haven't encountered um uh, a monitor type personality in these oh. games I haven't liked yet. You know what I mean? I, I think they've, they've done a decent good job. I, I have no complaints about that. <laughs> I think it's also kind of interesting that they're, they, for a third time, redesigned the monitors in a game when th- their focus was specifically going back to the classic art style. Yeah, I didn't so really get that either. I, yeah. I think it was an interesting choice, but I think to me it communicated that there are just a lot of different types of monitors out there, and we'll see a lot as much variety across them as we do across the sentinels well what was interesting was that uh so they're totally changed but the the thing they made sure to copy exactly was the the like i guess i don't know like cpu or whatever of the monitor which has been you saw it uh in uh halo 4 in like a uh the station like lockdown along with the the index and stuff uh, and that was the the same. You see, like it ripped out of uh, of the monitor when the harbinger is going through it. So that was that's the exact same, even though the outside is totally different, which is kind of random but interesting. Oh, sorry, encephalon. That's what it is. That's what it's called. The little encephalon? CPU. It's their CPU thing, like their little weird internal thing. Yeah, they gave it a name. Yeah, apparently. Halopedia gave it a name. I don't know if it actually has that name because it's Halopedia. I don't trust what's on there. Um, I did notice that too, though, because I, I recently picked up that, um, what is it, Warfleet or whatever the ship yeah, book the is. Cross with the yeah, Warfleet. Yeah, and they had that monitor one right up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Harbinger I thought was interesting, but considering we don't go anywhere with her, I mean, she serves her purpose, but she's mostly there to just be mysterious. Um, yeah, you know they're going to answer that more in future updates. But like, what I want to know is, they keep on dropping all these hints that there's some connection to the precursors. I think there was a one of the audio logs. The harbinger says uh, at the at the very end of the audio log, "I shall talk and you shall listen," which of course is a grave mind quote. So. What's the connection there? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, if they were like uh, the endless were another creation of the precursors or something, uh, we don't really know. I I understand what they were trying to do with it, but there's a billion ways they could have done it slightly better. You know what I mean? Uh, it just felt like not only did they not want you to think about what they were trying to move away from, I thought they were willing to see throw some new dangly thing in front of you uh, to distract you, and I don't feel. The dangly dangly new thing has as much as an appeal uh, as finding out what the f- happened that they really do not want you to know about all the the Quran stuff. Like they're they're so desperately moved past that stuff that they they just want something to keep you going forward. And instead of dealing with all this interesting state of stuff, you're like, oh look, new new people, new 
It's like, come on, you're better than this. Yeah, I agree. It could have been handled better. It was also interesting that, um, you know, when was the last time we had a new alien species um, introduced? I feel like the, the last race is um, the Yonet from uh, Nightfall. So it's been. Yeah, which again was not very deliberately structured in its introduction. I think the last one was like the drones in yeah, Halo, Halo 2. 2. Might have been. Probably. Yeah. yeah, and so I I like them in terms of like their weird little squiddy thing, which I guess if they're if they're tied to the to the Lovecraftian uh uh precursors that kind of ties them visually. Um they're weird little squid things and her her little squid kids that are the skimmers, which is I liked as they're a concession to the fact that drones were never particularly fun to play. So at least if we have a <laughs> flying enemy, have them only operate in a certain range so you don't get shot from behind and above, which was helpful. I, I'm grateful they did that because if they brought back the drones and just completely changed their behavior because of gameplay reasons, it wouldn't have went down as well. I think it was smart just doing it fresh. Yeah, I think that you could have done an interesting banished twist on the drones to change their gameplay, give them different armor that changes their functionality or something. Um, I, I thought it was a little odd that this strange new alien species shows up and then suddenly they're just part of the banish. The part that got me was that the weapon immediately names them, but they're also named that by the banished. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. like you could pull like the whatever Cortana pulls the strings out of the Prometheans to find out if they're knights or something. That was a little bit, uh, a little bit better than just like, I'm going to call them skimmers because they skim. And it relates to their gameplay behavior, coincidentally. Do you get it? Well, Do you get it, Mr. Chief? That's, that's a classic covenant thing. You got your grunts here, your grunts, your elites and such. Yeah. What did you guys think of the introduction of the skimmers? Like in the story wise? I mean, they're definitely, they, I think that the, probably the conservatory is one of the, the better overall missions, I think, because it, it's where you finally like, all right, here, we're going to kick the, the plot into overdrive. Um, and we're going to throw some, a bunch of new stuff at you and, and let you figure it out. Um, and they, they do have like the evil, like monkeys from wizard of Oz thing going on about them, which I liked. The only thing I didn't like, and I think what they should have did was, um, not whenever they introduced them, I think that they were too much of a focus straight away. If that kind of makes sense. I think we could have teased them and put them around the periphery of the player a bit more before just, just making them go them through the, the skimmer bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Three for three also seems to have that issue. I, I remember seeing the introduction of the Promethean Knights for the first time, where it just jumps in front of you and screams in your face. Oh, there's the new nighttime. <laughs> it's uh, I remember thinking as I was playing through the conservatory. I think I don't remember exactly, but I think there's a room you come into where a bunch of banished are just lying dead already. It, it's very much mm-hmm. that like door that opens in the um, uh, three four three guilty spark. Yeah. yeah, and the jackals there, and the bloods everywhere. I w- so I remember before the game came out, people were talking about story leaks. And um, I avoided those 
because I thought there was going to be some big twist. So when I was going through that level, I kept on seeing forerunner architecture that reminded me of like the flood containment cells and the geometry matched up to some of those levels where you, mm-hmm. we first see the, the flood. And I, I just kept saying like, Oh, the flood are going to be in this game. That's what the big twist was. That's what well, got leaked. They technically are in the game. Uh, technically just uh, in stuck in a silex. So, you mean they are present in the game? Yeah. They are present in the game. Well, yeah. that's and that's one thing I think that this this game does really well is that it absolutely it took like basically every foreigner environment and stuck them in a blender and then spat out uh, a really nice version of it. Like the that section, the conservatory definitely has sections that remind me of um specifically it reminds me of the some of the stuff from assault in the control room with the, the round rooms and then also the, uh, the quarantine zone and like the, the wall yeah. in halo two, where you've got to jump over these. It doesn't seem like a good environment to walk through because there's all these like things that pop up out of the ground. So you have to like step over them. It seems like a terrible idea, but I'm not a foreigner interior designer. Um, and then there's, there's early on, I think, is it I think it's in the the mission where you find the weapon there's a a room with jackal snipers and stuff which is a dead ringer for the jackal snipers underwater room in uh regret in Halo 2 just the overall look of it uh definitely draws a lot from Halo 3's arc um so I I definitely think in terms of bringing back like the the classic foreigner look they did a great job and they they still had a lot of stuff that reminded me of Halo 4, um, especially like these these long hexagonal rooms that reminded me a lot of Reclaimer. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that ties it to all the Forerunner architecture we see. Um, and considering Forerunner architecture has changed a lot in all the games, uh, I think they did a pretty good job um, doing that, even though, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be a Forerunner game if there wasn't stuff that, like, all right, this is the copy-paste of that other place we just went um for the most part not much backtracking but there is some stuff that's like all right we've we've already been here and they still managed to give us some interesting new environments too like um wherever we going i guess it's the the pylon or whatever where you get to see all the the little hexagons being made um you're kind of running through this foundry it was really cool yeah, I like seeing some motifs from like Halo Two pop up in terms of Forerunner architecture. We got the the gondola made an appearance, the uh, the pistons that you have to jump down. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They actually have you unlock oh, one, which is a, a nice little touch. Yeah, I love that. And then what? One of the things that really got me thinking about the flood was in Halo Two. I think it's when you're going down one of the elevators. There's um those freestanding rectangular boxes. Mm-hmm. And in Halo 2, if you shoot them or break them open, flood spores come out, infection pods. Yeah, and the gas giant. So I kept on seeing those. I kept on seeing those shapes throughout Infinite, and just thinking like, "Oh, these are flood containment pods." I know you just want the flood yeah, to come one, back. I really want them to come back. I did just recently uh, play Halo Wars 2 for the first time, so that oh, well, satisfied so a go. little. You got your flood there. A little bit. Um, yeah, so I think that was definitely the the appeal of 
they they definitely nailed the oh I'm wandering around on this giant foreigner ring and having fun doing it and there's there's yeah. ancient I think actually um in terms of I felt like the music was actually something of a letdown in context and that's actually something Oh what music what music? My music stopped a lot throughout the fucking uh, overworld, and I was just like fighting like brutes and stuff and grunts. And I was like, "There should be some kind of action music stuff going on." It seems so weird to be just completely quiet. Sounds like a PC thing. But I definitely, I think actually that's something, especially in retrospect, like that Halo Four especially did. Was it brought back some of that? Like, oh, this is foreigner stuff. It's weird and strange and has this stuff that doesn't sound like things you're used to um that had been missing since halo one um and i don't think this quite reached that even though overall i've been listening to the soundtrack and enjoying it um i don't know that that wasn't quite there for me i would disagree actually i some of those first forerunner levels when the music was playing it just had i i had that um sort of flashback to walking through installation zero four in Halo 1, that sort of ominous, ancient, empty, lonely, eerie feel. I got that from, from this music and those environments in a way that I haven't in, uh, I really think, any it's game also, since But it's CE. also interesting because they definitely, I mean, it's definitely much more on the nose with taking uh, classic Halo themes um, and reusing them. But I think for the most part, they do a good job with it. A lot of this game, this is kind of like microsoft's version of like the star wars sequels where it's all built around nostalgia and callbacks to remember the old stuff the whole the member berries yeah that's got a lot of that from this game but i really felt like it worked well i think it it works because it's going back to old stuff but it's also still furthering things it's not just i mean if like you had popped up at the end, like the big bad is like, oh wait, the covenant have come back yet again, or like somehow, I don't know, the prophet of truth returned, and he's been building a fleet on the edge of the galaxy or something. Then it would have that might have actually excited me. Holy <laughs> prophet coming back, fully armed to the teeth for revenge would have been awesome. All right, well, I mean, it's coming because divine wind sets that up. So, um. We're going to get profits again. There, there's point. just so much I wanted to see out of the Halo universe, and this game gave me literally none of it. But again, isn't it nice that we get to have more content to look forward to in the future that's going to switch it up? Yeah, but you could say this game is great because it will have a sequel in the future. It's like, what? <laughs> is that how we judge something's good these days? Because it has the potential to get better sequels and extra stuff. In Unfortunately, the that kind really? of is is because, like, in the the world of everything, a franchise, it's like, all right, how much does this set up for the next thing? And that is part of it. Well, I one hundred percent trust uh, Microsoft to do a better job steering the Halo franchise than somehow Disney did with the star wars franchise so i was burnt with bungie and destiny and that mess and i just see them making the same promises and no promise of that scale i'm, I'm ever going to trust ever again until it's 10 years after the fact and i can look back on it and go hey they didn't lie well one of the things that is i mean some of some of infinite is clearly modeled off of the destiny formula and i'm picturing some of the future updates maybe dropping new factions that we get to fight, particularly the Endless. But I'm interested in how that's going to like affect the sandbox. Like, 
you talk about those three-way battles. Are they going to have endless popping up in the overworld and changing the way that di- that whole dynamic works? Like, are we going to see those awesome. three-way battles popping up in the same environments we've been exploring yeah. for the last few months? I think that'd be cool. Well, I think my guess, I guess we can just switch to future things then. Uh, my guess is that whatever we get first will be like another section of the ring following like maybe i mean it will depend on what uh the upcoming novel does but like for instance they kill off most of the spartans except uh i think corvith is the one who says he's going up ring to chill out so i feel like in terms of here's what happened to lasky or so and so uh halo five or four characters you knew about that's probably what we're gonna get early on um, but the thing is, if you're if you're if you're a fan of, of of the Spartans in general, going into Halo Infinite, like four and five made a very specific, concentrated effort to put the Spartans as a group, as an expanded, not just you against everyone, but it's a it's a group, it's a it's a force, it's a it's a brotherhood bonding. Actually, if you go into the, the story beats in, in Infinite, but it's completely absent. You know what I mean? Like you're supposed to be part of this team, this bigger thing of of being along with the Spartans. And this game does directly pull from that in order to achieve some of its beats, but it also showcases the complete absence of the of of, of the UAC forces and the Spartans as being relevant. You know what I mean? Because they're all back and dead by the time you show up. It's like, oh, you're useless. And so, well, what's your corpse going to give me now? You know what I mean? It's like the other Spartans in Halo Infinite are just good for their corpses' leftovers. You know what I mean? It's like, come on. Well, actually, that was that was one place we were talking way earlier about. Uh... The environmental storytelling, one place I thought Infinite did not do as well was in that, like, what is this corpse trying to tell you uh, type thing? Because I think, to me, the the gold standard for that is Bioshock, where you would come across this tableau and there would be, like, you loot a corpse and find some audio diary that gives you some explanation of what went down. Um, and for the most part, that I didn't get that feeling for Infinite, that... St- for very few exceptions, I think there is one um, where uh, one of the the Marines is like leaving a, a message for someone to get back, and obviously you find like she totally crashed and wiped out, and yeah, maybe Chief is going to give that to someone, but probably not. Uh, but for the most part, there wasn't that like level of of human connection to a lot of the characters. Like I I didn't really care much about all the different Spartans. They were just mostly just kvetching about stuff and you know none of this is going to work out but there's not enough character moments for me to care about them especially if you haven't seen them so i think unfortunately that part didn't work as well for me um but in some places the storytelling is very good and um i brought this up earlier uh we were talking about things that came back uh the foreigner text that came up in halo 3 reappears um there's like a lot of a lot of the the old foreigner motifs come up, and there's question of what that means in terms of storytelling. There's a couple of of videos of people sort of puzzling it out, like that that level of of environmental storytelling. I think does work in raising questions that are interesting to ask. Um, the character stuff I don't think worked as well for me. I wonder if I'm also wondering if future story stuff will let you if it'll all still be 
Master Chief or if they will like let you play as your Spartan Force. Um, like so you can run around with like whatever crazy cosmetics you have in <laughs> in the campaign, which would be kind of ridiculous, but also I think people would eat that up. That would be that would be a nice way of doing it. It's very simple. Like if only you can go back in time six years and, and pitch that to them, we might have gotten something nice out of it. Oh, we might see. Or what they'll do for when you have a co-op when they finally add it to Infinite, if they'll everyone will just be identical chief or they'll do something different. It'll be interesting. Yeah, to see. good question. Good point, yeah. So you're saying you want Spartan Ops too? My thesis is that if you went back in time and removed half the missions from Spartan Ops Season 1, we might have gotten a Spartan Ops Season 2 because the thing that killed that more than anything was just a bunch of samey missions. Whereas they had like two or three really good ones. You had like an extra two or three ones where you're just running around pushing buttons in a different order. So I think that's really what, what killed it more than anything else. Um, so I, yes, I do want Spartan Ops season two. Yeah, me too. Actually, like that's that's another another road that they walked down and just gave up. You know what I mean? I I just don't want more of those cropping up in the future. Yeah, now that you can run around with a giant spiky neon hair cosmetic or flames, like people would definitely want that. And as long as you don't throw Zeta Halo into the sun, okay? I I don't think I could handle that. I I I don't really think they're gonna end up going that route. As fun as it would be, it'd be a nice surprise to have different characters. Pop up, All right, but... Well, so what's your what's your your pitch for what we're probably gonna see sooner rather than later in terms of story DLC, etc.? No, I'd agree. I think it's probably gonna follow up on the Infinity. That's the biggest um, outstanding mystery in terms of the UNSC. Uh, and you know they have all these voice actors. Yeah. They, of course, they're going to use them somewhere. Well, and also just that's speaking of things where we've gotten teased, like Halo 5 at one point had Infinity as like this hub world where you would go on missions. Um, I would just love to like, hey, yeah, sure. Half the Infinity landed on Zeta Halo. Make that an environment. Have us just running through. Like if you wanted, you could even do like make it an ODST or a Marine, like survival horror kind of thing, being stalked by by the banished going through it. There's all sorts of stuff you could do with that environment that I would love. Um, and yeah. The, the, the real question is, when will we see Palmer? Like, that's everyone wants to know. The fan favorite character. Palmer and and uh, the banished propaganda says that Locke is totally dead, but I don't think they're going to kill Locke. I think he's alive. I think all the major, major characters are alive and well. They're just out of frame for... Well, to, to be fair, to be fair, Luke Cage got cancelled. The guy needs needs something to do. Hello, you know. But they're also wrapping the Marvel TV shows into the yeah movies. Now. I don't know. I don't know if he's got a call. Well, they got uh, Ike Imzadi or whatever his name is. He's voicing Atriox in this one, so he got he got his his paycheck. Who is that? Uh, he's the one who ended up uh, actually voicing. Uh, lock in Halo Five after Coulter got busy oh. or whatever. Hmm. Yeah, they got Coulter was just like the the model for the the character, not the uh, maybe the performance as well. But it's the character, so I was like, wow, suddenly like he's doing so much better a job, and like it's because it's a different actor. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. But it's interesting that they had him play such a different character with such a different voice. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah. But yeah, I think um I think the first DLC we'll get will probably be letting us go to those other land masses that are currently blocked off without glitches. Mm-hmm. I honestly think what yeah. we're going to see is the cut levels, like the the, the abundance of, of of years of content they made and didn't show us or put in the game. They'll maybe put some of the content they made for the game in the game, and I look forward to seeing any of that. Just one level. Just give me one of your cut levels, please. Just one. You can choose any of them. One thing that I'm curious about is uh, how are they going to handle progression? Because um, obviously there's more Spartan cores in the campaign than you need for all the upgrades that they give you. So it seems like it's set up for more right gameplay features. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when they drop the DLC or, or the expansion, are, am I going to have to, like, replay the campaign to get all those cores to then unlock the new stuff in the expansion or can i just load up the expansion yeah as an individual thing or is it like destiny where it pops up in the world you know you, you never get to return to that clean slate i don't see them doing an expansion on the same vein as destiny that's like a box sku retail thing like, i i don't see them doing that i think infinite's going to be the sku and anything that you access and develop outwards from that you'll see inside the the framework or they'll modify the current framework to incorporate additional stuff without uh without making it a whole new presentation and a whole new separate distinct experience i think they're going to try and fold it all into it into the continuous sort of flow from infinite without doing like a whole new menu for the atriox expansion or whatever it's just going to be more infinite in terms of presentation at least i'm curious to see how it plays out Oh, for sure. Or just anything. Any idea of anything they're doing in the future. Before you know it. Why even tell us the 10-year plan? If you're going to tell us even a year out of the 10. Magic of soundbites. Yeah, so we will see uh, when we get answers to stuff. All that. In the meantime, play multiplayer. Enjoying it. Yeah, I think the multiplayer would probably need a separate discussion because there's so much specific criticisms and unique instances of um, things to discuss that would scope out beyond the conversation here, I That's feel. That's fine. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Isaac. So what are you up to on off-screen? Uh, currently working on just expanding the number of topics that I'm covering over there. So I do video essays, of course, where I'm breaking down Star Wars, Marvel, and... Uh, gonna hopefully be getting to some halo content here in the future so i'm starting to work on scripts for that and then just doing more heroes journey analysis because those have been really popular so if anyone hasn't checked those out the star wars one is a good place to start um i put a lot of work into the dune video so there's cool stuff to check out um just go to youtube and search for off screen two words and then it should be the channel that pops up on top and i'm sure these guys will include a link so links in the show note um Anything we talked about in this episode um, and articles and more can be on found on our website, fortentodon.com. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Uh, check out our videos on YouTube at youtube.com slash fortentodon. Or follow us on Twitter for updates to all our content uh, at the handle forwarddon. Thanks for listening and see you next time.